Hey everybody, welcome to Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. I really want to thank you for listening. If you feel compelled to do so, make sure you subscribe, uh, leave a review, comment, share, whatever you feel like doing. Help me out trying to grow this podcast, trying to continuously deliver value. A couple of things before we get into the show, check out the links in the show notes to my CRA Academy, my CRC Academy, both of them doing very well as far as getting people jobs in the marketplace. Check those out. Also, if you need help getting studies for your site or anything else, or even launching a site, basically any help for your site, we have a low monthly fee consulting service where we have helped many clients become and continue to be successful site owners through our background efforts of business development and support staff. Text me 949-415-6256. Please check out the links in the show notes as well for the book, The Comprehensive Guide to Clinical Research. It's been selling really well, getting very well received by the community. Thank you guys so much for that. Also check out the YouTube member page. Join this channel to get perks. That's my YouTube uh, membership. It's 10 bucks a month. You get a monthly mastermind exclusively. It's a Zoom call every month with other YouTube members. Uh, You also get weekly videos exclusive to the YouTube members on how to use social media to improve your opportunities in life sciences. So check that out. Really means a lot to me. And thank you so much again for listening and enjoy the show. All right. Hey, guys. I'm jumping on here. Without Dan, we, uh, if you were uh, watching us on Dan's stream, uh, we did a little collaborative crossover here today. So uh, we actually started out on Dan's live stream and then switching over. I think he's making a, a venue change. So wait for him to pop in over here. I'm still sort of getting uh, familiar with LinkedIn Live myself. So uh, just excuse my fun little ghetto banner up here hopefully that'll it'll get changed uh, in time uh so yeah jonathan i hope it started i uh, hope you can hear me uh, i'm not really seeing any comments come through right now so i'm not sure if we're actually broadcasting or not but hey there we go russell all right so looks like we're we're live here so i'm just waiting for dan to pop in uh, but already some pretty interesting uh, conversation, uh, especially I think, uh, sort of the, in the DCT space, some kind of interesting talk here, uh, guys, I've had a few people already mention the, uh, theme music or coming out with some music. I'll see what I can dig up. Maybe some old recordings that I've made. I probably got something on an old hard drive somewhere. So We're still waiting for Dan. Dan was uh, hanging out outside in Arizona. So (laughs) that's right. Me and Dan are uh, on the same side. So you're probably not going to see a fight to the death, unfortunately.
All right. Dan should be on here shortly. Caitlin, please go back to work. All right, here's Dan. Let me get him up here. Sorry, Brad. It took me a while because uh, I've never been a guest on the StreamYard before. It's <laughs> now I know the process. Yeah, it is. It's a little bit different, huh? It's a uh, yeah. Well, where do we pick off? I mean, so well, actually, first of all, let's do this. This is my first, you know, sort of a note to file live, uh, if you will. So I thought super appropriate uh, to have Dan Sfera on. I've said this before, and I'll say it again, but. I mean, you were a really big inspiration, you know, for me to even break off and start doing my own thing. And then beyond that, uh, you know, trying to, you know, cobble together some content, create some engaging stuff for the community. So uh, I always want to, you know, sort of uh, pay my respect. So <laughs> thank you. It means a lot for you to, you know, come on, come on my show. Thank you, man. No, that like I'm a fan of yours and um, I think we need more content creators that are no nonsense you know i think yeah let's just leave it at that but uh <laughs> i'm i'm happy man i'm really happy that that's how it started so like keep it going man especially those linkedin posts and more of these live streams would be great yeah that's the idea and i think we're seeing even more like people spin off and start to have uh, a bigger voice i mean you know, we know there are things like SCRS out there, which, you know, I've, I've my own feelings about, but I feel like there's not enough sort of independent voices, especially at the site level, uh, which is, we've talked about before, is such a sort of, I think, <laughs> overlooked stakeholder in this whole process, right? And I mean, uh, we certainly don't get enough. I think there, this maybe is a perfect segue from our last convo, but there's a lot of advantages to being small. And I think like organizations now that have matured, I think they lose a lot of value as they get bigger. And I mean, who's to blame the founders? You know, they're they're making money. They're keeping the business afloat. But you lose some of that transparency. So when you see somebody like Brad just turn on their camera and no one's telling them what to do, you know that what you're getting is like there's no other agenda. Unless you have some agenda, which is like you're a site owner. So that's that's your agenda there is to grow your site. But I think people can understand that and get behind that. Some of these larger groups, people don't really understand what their agenda is. Well, who are you serving? Yeah. No, and then to your point, and you've probably seen this too, but I mean, I've had a lot of people message me in the background, you know, with things and say that they can't go say out loud, you know, for fear of, you know, pissing somebody off or. Yeah. You know, rubbing, rubbing a sponsor the wrong way. And, you know, to that point, I don't know if you have had this experience, but I've gotten uh, I've gotten my fair share of uh, angry emails from sponsors when I've, you know, really? called something out on LinkedIn. Man. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I never have, man. I'm, I'm surprised I was waiting for it to happen. The guy, check this, man. And by the way, I got to put this guy, this guy is like Gary V. Not this book. This book's like his worst book. But this this guy can do no wrong to me. He's the reason why I started the YouTube channel in 2010. And I remember in 20, 2008, I hired this consultant, right? So before YouTube, nobody knew who I was. I had no idea even what YouTube was. I hired this guy because he was like going to prepare me for audits. And then I was like, all right, that's cool. But what I really want you to do, like, I'm happy to pay you for that. But can you also, and I'll pay you for your time, get me studies. 
And he was like, no, no, I can't do that, this and that. So that planted a seed for my site services. But he told me, because I, I worked with him for two years. I told him, hey, I read this guy's book. I think I found a way to grow my business. I just got to do YouTube videos about my experiences. You know what he said? I'm paying this guy. I can't remember how much. Back in 08 money, it was a lot. Don't do that. Pfizer is going to sue you. <laughs> and if it's not Pfizer, it'll be someone like them. And it has yet to happen. Not even one angry email. Yeah, so I mean, don't no, do nobody, what the experts tell you. Yeah, nobody's threatened to sue me, but I think there's been a. Honestly, it's been mostly in good faith, like the communication I've I've gotten whenever I say because look again, you've seen like <laughs> these are things that most of these things affect everyone, right? So calling out like a CRO that doesn't pay me my startup cost until nine months later. Like I'm not the only one dealing with that. You know, all, all <laughs> kinds of sites are dealing with that. So, uh, yeah, it's, a uh, you know, it's been very, very interesting, but, uh, I want to talk about you, uh, and Yuma, Yuma clinical trials. Is that, is that what you're Yuma clinical trials? As? And I forgot, man, I forgot your shoe, but thank you so much for your air force ones, the high tower clinical blue and blacks. <laughs> Oh my gosh, man. I wear those things a lot, actually. Uh, so thank you so nice. much for that. Yeah, Yuma Clinical Trials. Been doing it for just over a year now. I moved here to Yuma in July of 21. So 13 so, I mean, months now. You obviously came in with, you know, knowing what you're doing to, to a large extent was, uh, I guess, what's your experience been like in sort of like rebuilding or building again? And do you think, um, I mean, has it been easier, harder if things changed since, uh, you know, you've, you've had that level of, of sort of hands-on or, I mean, how, how's it, how's it been over the last year? Not much has changed. Um, yeah. I think it's key to have the right PI. I, that will never change. I don't see how DCT is going to change that either. It's key to have the right PI. These tools, like I use eSource now. So I started this site from eSource from the beginning. So my employees have no idea what paper source even is like, they just know eSource. Like, that's normal for them. Nice. Um, as far as getting studies, a lot easier. A lot probably has to do with my network. And a lot has to do with the fact that it's an underserved market, which I'm sure you get a lot of, too. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's certainly a big, uh, a big focus uh, right now. I'm playing around here since my first live stream, really. Joe, uh, Joe likes your backlighting. So Thanks, you have, man. A, you have such a nice one. setup. I'm missing a light too. Like it's not perfect, but you know, we just improve little by little. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't figured out my, my lighting situation yet, but uh, it's really tough, man. It's tough to do everything right. And to be consistent. Like it's just tough. My audio usually sucks. I bought these. There's always a problem. I got an African gray bird in the house right now. So <laughs> it's never perfect, man, but it's the content that people want. Yeah. Well, and again, I, I appre almost appreciate things that are less uh, produced. You know, I don't, you don't want it to be overly produced. Like, again, it's like real. Just be, yeah, be real. It's okay. <laughs> people look. Oh, the reason I brought this guy up, Gary V, is not because, um, yeah, he's the reason why I started vlogging but he said something interesting that's like a carryover from our last conversation the minute okay the minute you accept money from somebody for your brand you lose a little bit of credibility sure and i think that's perfect summary of like the organizations in our space that 
are built on just brands. Even this one, Latinos and Clinker Research, we haven't accepted money from. We're looking for sponsors, but guess what? The minute we accept, like we just have to prove, go out of our way to prove that we're still here serving the community. There's a way to do it, but there's also a point in time where you've got to remain transparent and authentic. Yeah, I think it's a tough balance, especially to your point. I mean, if you start taking on sponsors, I mean, do you, do you feel like that's going to limit what you're able to say? I mean, or does, it, or does that stick in the back of your mind to say, well, okay, well, now someone's sponsoring this. I can't go off and say, you know, such and such without potential ramifications. I mean, does that to put you in a bad, bad spot? I've had a sponsor and I'm in talks right now. I think we're going to do something soon. I'll have an announcement. But yeah, it has to be the right one. And they have to know who you are and why your brand is what it is. And they're not going to come in here for a couple bucks and change that. So they know it's got to be on my terms. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's fair. Again, I, I feel like this is a space that hasn't had a lot of that, that transparency and uh, it still feels, it feels new, I guess. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm over overstating that, but you know, I mean, I think we're seeing that through interest in like in what you do and even what I do that there's, there's so much feedback and engagement. I mean, I know Russell was on the last here. I mean, you know, this is why I'm a loud mouth It's because I want things to get better. I want the, I want the process to improve, you know, for everybody. It's not because I'm, you know, to hate the world is because, you know, what we do when you look at it is oftentimes like laughably inefficient and crazy. I know you've seen the, had to have seen that too. Some of the, some of that stuff. I just don't know how it's managed to maintain itself that way for so long. Yeah. It's amazing. We've got, and we're on the cusp right now. Like people, this, I'm really getting into like the hard science. Look, all the stuff I should have been studying in college. I'm <laughs> going, I'm going back like to relearn because we're on the cusp of like this decade. I mean, let's talk like anti-aging. All right. MRNA. Like there's a lot of, of uh opinions on mrna whether it was rolled out properly or not is not for this podcast but it's it's coming right sure it's not perfect crispr like microbiome cns stuff there's so many things like that we're on the cusp of like improving our lives and you still have this industry that's the bottleneck for it like and a lot of that has to do with regulations and it should be that way but a lot of it should not be that way either and I think sponsors need to realize that they're dealing with or they should be dealing with real clinicians in, com in real communities and not with algorithms. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think to go to your to your other point, too, I mean, how much is the regulatory process like really putting a damper on on things? I know we talked about DCT and how it, in a more broad sense, I think, coming from, you know, these new vendors. But I mean, surely I don't want to speak for you, but I know that like, I would love to be able to implement things, you know, that would make my life lives easier for the patients we serve. Right. So even things like telehealth and e-consent and these sort of broader, you know, little, little DCT methods. I mean, is that stuff being hung up, you know, by unclear regulatory uh, status or process? I mean, how, I mean, do you think that's an issue? I actually don't think that's the issue. I think, I think what's hanging up the industry is nothing to do with tech. I think tech; those are tools. Like, patient, look, you've got to talk to the patient first, whether it's paper informed consent or EC or e consent. That patient has to agree to do the study. That requires 
man and woman hours, usually on the phone, usually face to face, usually like nine no's for one yes. <laughs> I don't see how that's going to happen at scale. I see that happening grassroots level in the communities. And no one's going to be able to convince me otherwise until I see it. Sure. Sure. Well, yeah, that's fair. I mean, and I guess, well, I mean, even, I mean, have you had experiences with the trials you're doing having, you know, DCT implementation or aspects at all? I mean, I feel like, I feel like the concept is still really overblown. We're not really seeing <laughs> a lot of new fancy stuff, at least not in the studies we're yeah. doing. Um, my fear my fear with that stuff, because yes, every trial we have now has elements of that. E-Diaries is like the biggest one. Right, right. And you have different rules, like sponsor have different rules. One E-Diaries says when you register a patient, we don't want their email address. <laughs> we want yours because, oh, we're not allowed to communicate with the patients. Whereas other ones say, yeah, put their email. Why are you not putting their email? Like that's fraud if you put your own. How do we know right. you're not answering their diaries? So a lot of that stuff needs to go. Like it's just ridiculous that if you're going to download an app on a patient's phone that they can't get the email themselves, you have to give it to them. And then on other ones, like they get it, but the system doesn't work because it's clunky because there's not a lot of like um, cohesion amongst the different platforms. That makes life unnecessarily burdensome for patients i think at the end we've got to be careful about balancing like squeezing more data out of these patients with retaining them and giving them a good experience because and we can't really do much about that either as as study coordinators like we literally sit there with the patient download the apps on their phone and walk them through it but when they go home we can't do that we can't live with them right yeah, no, it's it's a and you know I guess you're lucky. We don't, I don't even think we have any studies where it's you know bring your own device. Instead, we're working with you know six different e diary vendors you know across the different even different worse, man. Oh my yeah. gosh. No, no, yeah, we're handing out these shitty old <laughs> Samsung phones from wow. you know 2013 or whatever, and they're they're garbage. And to your point, you know once they're gone with it, I the training is so bad usually that i don't know what they're looking at you know i can't even really help walk them through sometimes uh, and then you add in the fact that there's a lot of rural rural area here you know in oklahoma maybe people don't have wi-fi so they've got to basically like drive into town to sync up their their e-tires yeah. <laughs> like we use we use tech all the time and like people on linkedin they're way more familiar with these tools than a lot of patients and I know just from like doing a live stream, like people ask me weird question all the time. Like, do I like if I want to watch, do I have to have my camera on? Like, no, you know, just click the link. So and these are people like working with tools. Right, so, right. And this is LinkedIn. Like we're all on there right now. People still don't really understand how these things work. They don't always work well. I couldn't get on this stream yard. It took me five extra minutes. <laughs> technology doesn't work the way it should a lot of times and that gets scaled you know maybe 5x 10x magnification when you're dealing with patients in a study in pain trying to do a diary and right. then they're over it and say nah it's too hard i'm gonna go take a shower instead and who could blame them yeah no it's true and uh, i got a question here from you from joe's we talked a little bit about some of these other uh, social media uh, tools uh <laughs> 
you know, Snapchat's one, another one I've never ever even seen before. Uh, do, you, <laughs> do, you, do you have any luck with it? Snapchat's gone, and no, I didn't have luck. Uh, I have to think about that actually, because Monica was my coordinator back then, and she might have gotten a few leads from Snapchat for patient leads. So we were running ads. Snapchat had a really cool thing where you can like geofence people based on where they were at the time. So I used to run an ad at um, one of the conferences. I think it was SCRS. I ran an ad just around that resort. So I knew all the people there would see it on Snapchat to follow me. That's about as as fancy as I got with Snapchat. (laughs) Nice. I like it. I like it. Getting a lot of questions for you here. How do you feel about, you know, pre-consent resources and things that help, you know, explain, better explain than handing somebody a, you know, 40-page consent document? Yeah. So this is an example of something that should be simple that becomes extremely frustrating. And it's, you can't even blame the sponsor. So you have these templates, right? Like that are already IRB approved. Problem is they're housed on these IRB portals (laughs) and they're buried in like 200 other documents. I could not care less about. I could care less that the sponsor submitted something for like 30 sites. Like I don't care. I want my flyer. I need to edit it to put my phone number on there. And print it. That's what I need. And if that takes me like 30 minutes to just find the thing, and then it's a PDF. Yeah, it's bad quality PDF. Yeah, what the hell am I supposed to do with that? So I just tell Katie, hey, figure this out. You know, There's like a PDF to Word converter. But then she gets a patient coming in or PI comes talk to her. So that thing never gets done. So what ends up happening is we just make our own. It's not IRB approved. But they're generic. We just tell them, hey, like... This is what a study is. I could show right. you one right now. Our social media guys uh, working on for you, clinical trials. They're on Instagram, not IRB approved, but it's nothing study specific either. So, like, I don't think I could get in trouble. But if you ask the right consultant, they'll tell you you will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, here's one in Spanish. Like, it's about what clinical trials are with our number. Here's one in English, clinical research. It's just like educational stuff. These are way more practical than like the IRB approved thing where you're just not even going to find it. Yeah, no. Well, and that mean that you hit on a couple of things that, yeah, I've never talked about, but are super annoying to that, to that end. You go to these IRB portals. First of all, they're terrible. Like I know we've kind of talked about how, how <laughs> shitty the IRB portals are, but then some of them, like, you can't just download a document. You have to download a zip file, even if it's only one document, which is insane <sighs> to me. But then, yeah, you get a, a a PDF that's got, you know, some, like, weird template stuff you can't easily change. It, it becomes basically yeah. useless to you, you know, because it's so generic that, you know, you can't even paste your own contact information in there. It's When you have so much stuff on a platform, like on a portal the more stuff you put in there, the less useful it becomes because like, so you asked me at the beginning, what I think about the industry, IRB portals have gotten way worse, exponentially worse. And I think it's related to mergers and acquisitions, more and more uh, bureaucracy, more money, more monopoly, and we don't care. So here it is. This is what we have. We rubber stamp most protocols from sponsors anyways. So they're going to use us. 
and sites. You just got to deal with it. And then, by the way, come to our conference, too, and let's spam <laughs> you. Let's spam you once you're registered so that you make sure that you come to our conferences. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, I mean, that, that is pretty crazy now that uh, I mean, we, we talked about sort of like why our IRB is like buying up all this shit and what I mean, is there not at least a perceived conflict of interest if you are like also in dipping your toe into patient recruitment and site management? They but own then you're sites. Also, but then you're also an IRB. Do they straight up own sites? From what I understand, there's uh, there's at least one IRB that has site ownership. I don't. And actually, I know for a fact, and I know which one it is. I'm not going to name it. One <laughs> of my former students from the CRC Academy got hired, and that's where I was like, "What? You work for them?" Because I knew the IRB, so I'm like, "Oh, what do you do? Like, what do you review protocols or what do you do?" He's like, no, no, we're a site. Like we, you know, we screen patients just like you. Yeah, that's pretty insane. Again, rather how is that not at least a potential conflict, right? I don't know. Because they've gotten so big, man. Who's going to tell them no? Like, you know how hard I've had some experience as a CRO doing IITs, investigator initiated sure. trials, and... The only reason we do them now, there's no money in there. The only reason we do it now is for our CRA Academy students. But mm -hmm. we had to find an IRB for Dr. Hazen, right? Dr. Sabine Hazen. Do you know, to even get a call back, we had to like bug them like we're selling services. <laughs> then they finally get back to you. They quote you some ridiculous number. And there's not much choice. If you don't like them, there's like three others. Maybe five to seven, but then as soon as they get big enough, they'll get acquired. Right, right. And meanwhile, <laughs> people worried about Elon Musk buying Twitter. <laughs> so this is sort of something interesting, and Nelson brings up is you know putting ICFs on a website, or we've we've oftentimes you know emailed ICFs. I mean, they're IRB approved for for patients to to see. I don't know why you would necessarily get in trouble for it. But I don't think it's a good. I just don't think it's a good idea from a like patient engagement. Again, if you throw, I mean, we literally have some ICFs that are forty-eight pages. I mean, if they you throw that at somebody, it. they're going to be like, "Nah, that's they too much." Read it, but they no, think, I think you, first of all, they you, you need to that, have that human element. Yeah, they think that you're like we have to tell every patient that comes in like when they see the size of these things. I tell them this is not a contract. This is not like you buying a house. You're this is us disclosing everything we know to you. This is not a contract. This is for us to disclose information to you. You don't not like if you sign this, I know it's intimidating, doesn't mean you're stuck in this study. Right. They all think that. So we wouldn't want that on our website because they think that we're like a bank or something at that point. Yeah, I mean, I think it's tricky because you do want you want patients to have as much information as possible, but I think it has it. It's almost like we we help curate that information in a way to that it, it's a little more accessible. Obviously, they still take ICF home and read it if they want to, but again, <laughs> to your point, you hand it to them and they're like, "What am I signing over here? This is <laughs> extremely intimidating." You know, yeah. to just throw that at them. Like when you go buy your iPhone, you're an Apple guy, right? I'm you, not an Apple guy. Oh, you're an I, Android yeah. man. I got that wrong. Whatever. You go buy your <laughs> Samsung. You go buy your Samsung. Okay. Like, Pixel. do you want? 
yeah do you want them to print out the terms of service like from that's already in your phone the one that says you can get cancer and they're not responsible for anything <laughs> like do you want that on your like when you buy your phone no you just want to buy a phone right same thing with doing a study let tell me what's important i don't need to see all that right now tell me what's important what i need to do i can let me know my rights tell me this is not something i have to do i mean that's basic icf yeah yeah that's true i I mean again i think it's becoming more and more uh well let's let's tie it back to dct then is there a tech solution do you think that could help sort of uh, synthesize that that process down like maybe again video inserting video into icf and things like that i think so i had i refinanced my house one of my homes um in january Thank God before the rates went up. Oh my God. What a good move. <laughs> so first time ever, I it's with Rocket Mortgage. First time ever I had I did a virtual closing. And I was like, this is so convenient. The guy was right there, just like you are. Right. And then I had the document on the screen too. And he explained, like, this is what you're signing. Don't worry about this. Most people don't read it, but here's what it is. And I was like, no, I don't care. Boom, click here, click here. So why couldn't that work in research? I think it could. Same thing as being in front of the, in front of somebody with a paper. I mean, you're saying the same thing. Yeah, no, that's that's true. And I haven't really seen this used. I don't know why we couldn't have a simple, you know, synop. I mean, ICF synopsis or the key facts there that that helps. I mean, I, I know we still have to cover certain aspects of the ICF, you know, uh, regardless. But again. Wouldn't it be easier to have that? It looks like people are already doing in other industries. Yeah. I mean, whatever makes it easier for the patient. I think, you know, Nelson, one of Nelson's other comments is not wanting to see the ICF in advance is different from not being able to see it in advance. I agree with you, but you also don't want the patient to get the wrong impression before you get a chance to talk to them. Yeah, Like that'll scare people off if you don't talk to them first. Yeah, that, that's true. And there have been times where we've offered it. I mean, we'll never deny somebody the opportunity to look at the ICF, you know, uh, you know, but I, I think to your point, it will, it will, and it has, we've seen it scare people off because again, things are sometimes worded in ways that aren't clear, even though these are supposed to be, you know, whatever written at an eighth grade level or anyone should be able to understand, uh, it's, they still manage to screw it up on plenty of occasions. Yeah. I've emailed it to patients like when I'm pre-screening them. I have like a 10, 15-minute conversation if they're interested. I said, look, I'm going to email you the informed consent. You can see all the details about the study. And then I'm going to schedule you to come in on this date. And you can bring it in with you and we'll sign it then. Right, right. But usually, again, that conversation is a caveat of like, hey, don't get overwhelmed. We're going to go through it. Yes. <laughs> and yes. if you just had it out there without that, I think sort of, you know, uh, disclaimer, then uh, that can, again, that could cause problems why not just share the icf flipbook? i mean i've only seen that implemented on maybe a couple of studies i, I don't, don't even know what common... that is <laughs> yeah, yeah I, th- I think there have been some you know attempts at for sponsors to sort of again distill it down in different ways via like a flipbook or a, that'd be know, cool a, a summary yeah it's not then you it's can email not them that idea. instead what's yeah. that i said then you could email them that instead that would be better yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to the sort of original question. I don't remember who asked it, but just having more uh, 
I think it was Jonathan here. Yeah, about having more pre-consent resources. Again, I don't think we, aside from things that are literally just like a a flyer that says, "Hey, you know, we're doing a we're doing an atopic dermatitis trial. See if you mm-hmm. qualify." I mean, true something truly informative about the specifics of the trial. I mean, we do not see nearly enough enough of that. If so, they may send you one or two little booklets and then <laughs> they're gone, you know. But but you know what? Like there's something further upstream. To even get to the point of discussing an ICF with someone, whether it's a flip book or a 30 pages form, to even get to that point, you need a lead. Like you need somebody. Right. right. In my current experience, the only leads I've been getting are from the clinicians we work with. Say, hey, Dan, I just saw this patient. They're interested. Contact them. If if I just got them from Facebook, they'd be very skeptical. Right. But because I call them and say, hey, Dr. Smith just saw you told me, then they feel like I'm doing them a favor by calling them. No, I mean, you've touched on something interesting. We do, we're fairly aggressive with Facebook and we've had some good luck with it. But to your point, I mean, it is way more of a, I don't want to say a sales job, but it's way more of a like trust building because it doesn't already exist to your point. And again, if you call me, I mean, even I think from their perspective, like some fucking weird company I'm just calling that's on the internet. Like, I don't know who you are, where you are. I know nothing about you, but you want me to come in and you want to draw my blood and give me you know, experimental medication. Like, I think that's a, that's a hard sell for, for somebody who doesn't have the physician relationship. So, I mean, you're hundred percent right. I don't think anything's going to change that. Uh, and to go beyond that, however, are you guys working at all with like any of these like AI, you know, companies that are digging into EMRs via unstructured data queries? No way. No, no, you know, trust, not trusting that. I've met some of these at conferences pre-COVID because I was intrigued. Like, oh, what's the virtual trial? Let me see what you guys have going on. Well, glad you asked. The founder came out. Hey, you know, we're backed by one of the largest CROs. It's very small print. Also, like this CRO backs these guys. I'm like, all right, tell me about your studies. What do you have? Well, we it's a retrospective chart review. So we go into your EMRs. We put our AI in there. And then we can just run studies. And then... Maybe one day we can give you a study too if you're appropriate. But what they're really doing is extracting your data and doing studies in perpetuity based on your actual live patient private practice visits. What a great bargain for like three grand. They were offering doctors <laughs> like three grand to put this program in their EMRs. And it's I'm a big sure that, CRO backing that, them. I'm sure that data is worth a ridiculous amount too. Yes, that's a good question for Darshan too. Like, hey, this legal and this CRO allowed to do this? Yeah, no, that's that's a fair question, and maybe uh, curious to see how that plays out. Because there's a lot of these companies popping up now that you know are sort of, I think, positioning themselves as like patient recruitment tools, but are really you know backdooring into EMRs and then you know kicking out data. But what what else are they going to do with that data? Or where's that you know where's if, that going to go? If this inflationary environment that we're entering in has any positives it's that these companies that are not profitable meaning that it just doesn't work maybe it's too early or maybe it's just not a good idea we're gonna see less of them sure yeah that's that's we're already starting to see like back to the basics man 
sponsor I'm working with just fired their central recruiter. Why? We haven't got one lead. One, not one. We had to do training for their portal. I check it. I log in and check. It's like, hey, free patient. Awesome. Not one, man. <laughs> with some algorithm. They're using some fancy algorithms, too. Sure. Still not cutting it. So, I mean, th- this is interesting. I don't know. I'll, I'll be curious, Laura, if you if you have any other information about this study, I'd be curious to read up about it. You know, at least an example where, you know, there are people finding out about trials on their own versus via an oncologist. And I, I mean, I have to imagine oncology, that may be more common because people are, <laughs> it's different than someone who has itchy skin, right? Uh, the, the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Their incentive is way, way different than, you know, a lot of the drugs that are being tested. So maybe that could be accounted for by the fact that, you know, these are people who have it's you know, life or death, man. Cancers. There's sense of urgency. Right, right. It's sense of urgency. I, I know I would, God forbid, get diagnosed. I'd be looking right now and calling up all those AMCs I bash. I'd be calling them like, what do you have? Um, when it's something like arthritis, you know, yeah, we got a cool treatment, but you can also just get an injection in your knee every six months. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, you know, we see that in derm, like there's, Dupixent exists. A lot of people use it. It works pretty well for most things. So yeah. it's more challenging because, you know, people are fairly well controlled. It doesn't interrupt their life. You know, I think totally um, different. I think oncology should be treated like on its own. Like most of these things, Brad and I, sometimes we over oversimplify. But oncology is separate, man. Uh, we almost can't like all this tools like AI, all that stuff, like direct to patient. I think that actually can work with oncology, like sure. because the patient are so into it. Like again, it's like life or death. Yeah, it, it, it's a very different motivation to your point. I think that's important to note um, for sure. There's and you're letting interest. phlebotomists come to your house. If you have that's cancer, right. you're letting people come to your house. You're doing, if they tell you, hey, you have to do three out of uh, seven e-diaries a week, you're doing them. Right. If you don't want that warning that, you know, you're going to get dropped. Like, it's totally different. Oncology, I think these tools work there first. And then maybe, maybe if they're improved work. In the yeah, no, that, that's well, that's a, a really, really good point, I think. And it's probably something that's goes uh, underappreciated and kind of going back I mean, to the ICF conversation. I mean, do you see patients that, you know, don't want to participate because of, of paperwork or the complexity involved? I mean, I, I tell people this all the time, but like, you know, usually people are more willing to do the things that they're asked than I think the perception is, you know, once they're in the trial, you've built the relationship a little bit with the patients. Like mm-hmm. we don't suffer a lot of dropouts, uh, even if we are asking a lot from them. Uh, I don't know what, I mean, what's your experience? Yeah. Been? If your site is small and the coordinators are incentivized properly, that's not going to turn them off. You know, you already know the objections beforehand. Right. They're like 80% are the same. You know the objections. You know how to answer. You know how to put the patient at ease. When you start getting bigger, like when IRBs start owning you, and like we said on my live stream, when you just paid to show up and that's it, a patient tells you, Brad, if I work at UCLA, all right, I'm getting 50K a year 
as a coordinator. My manager meets with me every quarter and says, hey, you know, we would like, like, you kind of making mistakes here on screen failures. Um, we'd like for you to improve. Your CRAs are saying you're not answering queries fast enough or entering data fast enough. Cool. You just told me my metrics. All right. Patient, I'm sitting in front of a patient. Hey, Dan, you know, these 20 pages, man, I don't know. Oh, yeah, I know. That's how these studies are. I mean, if you don't want to do it, you don't have to. You'll still, you'll still get paid today. By right. the way, I got to go get lunch right now, too. So let me know, like, <laughs> what, what you're going to do. Oh, I don't want to do it. All right, cool. Here's your 50 bucks. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. No, if yeah. they do that on my site, you know what I'm saying? Why? Why? No, no. Let's let's make it work. Are you hungry right now? Okay. Yeah, you're supposed to be fasting, but we can reschedule your blood draw for tomorrow. I could give you a sandwich right now. That's the difference, man. Small is the new big. No, I, I again, I don't, I don't disagree, and I've seen that all throughout my my career and experiences in different different institutions. And I mean, no, I think that's incredibly, again, underappreciated and sort of not called out enough. I mean, and I, you know, I this happens, that. man. You know, this happens. Like your son Axel was just in a, or not Axel, that was, <laughs> your son was just in a trial. Right, um, right. And a variation of that happened to some degree from what I. Yeah, no, no. I mean, yep, no, I think you're, yeah, no, you're right. You're dead on there. I mean, again, it's, it's, it's well known at this fact. Axel is James Fowles. Yeah, yeah son. I, know. I, I know. just interviewed him. I know too. you I just talked to him. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. So, I mean, look, why do you think there's such a disconnect between sponsors and sites? I mean, uh, I mean, look, I think we're trying to bridge that gap by doing things like this and putting more content out. But look, I have a little bit of a conspiratorial, you know, feel that I think that, frankly, you know, if I'm a CRO, you don't really want super efficiency, right? You want more billable hours. <laughs> the chaos kind of works for you, right? Um, but I mean, more generally speaking, I mean, why do you think there's such a a gap between you know sponsors and sites because the people designing i'm learning more from my dad still like i got into research because of him i owe him a lot for getting my start he's he's moved on from being private practice like very practical pragmatic to no longer seeing patients he's like almost retired so he's doing a lot of academic work like publishing papers I think a lot of that's why I'm getting into the hard science too. Like I'm just kind of following in his footsteps again, subconsciously, but it's totally different world, man. These guys writing these protocol, like these scientists and these, they're doctors too. They have no clue what the community-based clinicians have to deal with. Like they have no idea what kind of comorbidities they have. I think that's part of why this IE criteria is so crazy. It's like, well, you want somebody who's like um, unhealthy on the outside, like in the case <laughs> of psoriasis. My PI told me this. He's a very practical guy. You must biggest private practice. Very practical, former army doctor. He says, Dan, they want severe on the outside psoriasis and perfectly healthy on the inside. It doesn't work that way. You're not right. going to get those people. But these people in the ivory towers think it works that way. Like they think that patients live in a vacuum. They don't actually treat them. There's a disconnect between doctors who publish and doctors who treat. And there's only a few that know both worlds. 
I think the magic happens there. Like Dr. Hazen's one of them. Dr. McCullough's another. Like there's a few. Yeah, no, I mean, I do. I think that's the biggest single problem is the one you point out, the, the difference between like what <laughs> what they think the patient population looks like versus what it actually looks like. And I think in a lot of ways, there's a lot of other parts of this industry that would go away if that yeah. were, were fixed, right? We wouldn't need crazy recruitment companies. You wouldn't need, you know, some of these other uh, kind of far out solutions because you it would be easier to go amongst regular people and, and offer them the opportunity to be in a trial. And interestingly enough, the ones who bridge that gap really well, I know we bash academia a lot, are those academic medical centers because they write grants, they write protocols, but they also treat patients. So they know, but those are usually just IITs. By the time that proof of concept turns into like a industry sponsored study, you know, they kind of <laughs> right. get more, more uh, wishful thinking on their, on their, on their patient outcomes. Sure. Sure. No, I think that that's a good point. I'm, I'm getting close to time here. I do want to hear your opinion on this specifically because, uh, <laughs> well, listen, I, I was supposed to have oh, uh, a guest, a guest on from CBS to my podcast to, to talk about it. And I think uh, I talked too much trash about, uh, about it and they ended up canceling and not, not wanting to reschedule. So I, I have really, um, we should have a month. I don't, I don't know where I stand on this. Uh, it's really, <sighs> Interesting. So yeah, I want to hear the Dan's Ferry perspective here. This is uh, really fascinating to me. We just talked about what they do at like UCLA or someplace. And I don't know if that happens <laughs> at UCLA, but it's going to, the same thing's going to happen here. So you're telling me all of a sudden CVS Walgreens, right? The, the pharmacies that you stand in line in to get your metformin refilled we're in line strategically placed, or at least right next to it at eye level. There's like Snicker bars and Flaming Hot Cheetos and Cokes. <laughs> so there, you can trust them now to explain. Study. By the Walgreens, the same company that partnered with Theranos. Right, right, right. On trials. Yeah. I mean, people forgotten about that. Now, people, let's let's make them not forget. And uh, Hulu did a good job on that on that show, The Dropout. Look, on paper, this could work. This is like a match made in heaven. Oh, we got database. You, right, do you right. trust? I, I go to Sam's Club to get my meds refilled. I don't talk to my pharmacist. Right. I just go there, give me my med, that's it, I'm out. Like I don't have a relationship with my pharmacist. I have a relationship with my doctor. Sure. My relationship with Walgreens is I want to get a Diet Coke and... <laughs> some flow nays or some nyquil when i'm when i have a cold yeah no i i'm with you there i think uh in my mind like yeah it's a data play for sure like that's a no-brainer the data is there i mean i i don't want to go to into a cbs period for any reason if i don't have to uh it's just <laughs> the ones around here at least they they're kind of run down you know the guy working at the counter doesn't really give a shit so i mean how does that translate yeah he's to, the same guy know, that's gonna consent you too <laughs> that could well be i mean it's unclear what, what their model is to me anyway but uh you know i've always thought it was again probably smart in terms of just pure data that they have access to but are do they really think they're going to run it themselves like very do, simple do know studies that? i think very simple studies like what meds are you taking and then fill out this survey on like your health economic outcomes like that maybe like that 
right. blood draw. Okay, maybe. Now, what happens when the sample didn't get processed fast enough and they got to come back? Oh, or like in the example I had of the urine, like the patient had to come back for a urine sample or they didn't do their diary. They're not going to be able to do complex stuff at those kind of, and maybe I'm wrong. And if I am wrong, it's going to be better for all of us because that's a, definitely at scale. They can do a lot of stuff. I just don't see it happening um, on like very important things. Yeah. No. And I, again, I would tend to agree. I think there are instances where it makes sense uh, to your point again, sort of the low, low touch. Uh, but yeah, I think you're going to have the same problems you would, you would have with any other DCT and that there's, you know, maybe trust is an issue and, or they can misdiagnose people like with Theranos. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Yeah, one drop, again. one drop of blood, but we're really going to draw like three tubes. But it's just the drop for the investors and send it to a regular lab. <laughs> <laughs> a drop for the investors, but three tubes for the patient. Yeah, no, that's crazy. But again, I'm, we're seeing so much press from CVS and Walgreens. It's it's sort of annoying at this point. They, but they have to, they have to do, and pharma wishes because that's like. B2B. Pharma understand like they're big corporation. They understand a big corporation. They don't understand you with your beard. Your beard's awesome, by the way. And they don't understand <laughs> me you. with like a whiskey t-shirt and a Latinos and clinker research hat. They don't know how to talk to us, man. But they know yeah, how to talk to fair. their co-executives at Walgreens. Hey, Bob. Yeah, man. We're going to run this study. We're going to run it through you guys. We're thinking 100 stores. Oh, yeah. We can do that. No problem. <laughs> yeah, I guess, uh, I guess time will tell. I mean, so, you know, trial design is a, the source of a lot of the, you know, problems that we see downstream. So, I mean, how, I mean, is it a matter of encouraging practicing doctors or is it a matter of the drug companies not really actually wanting that to be the case? I mean, how do you, Both. how do you feel about, yeah. That's Both. Fair. <laughs> I think that when you're busy running a private practice, you're in the trenches and maybe you're like, taking some courses to uh, to like keep up to date. I mean, matter of fact, that's why a lot of our PIs like research, not just necessarily for the money, but they want to feel like they at least have like a toe in what's next. Absolutely. Right? And I'm sure you have the same experience. Um, Cause I know a few doctors that are busy private practice, you know, they're seeing like 30 patients a day, but they're also like, okay, you know, this is like a interesting new development. Let's look into it, but they're not going to go like write a paper. Um, you know, that takes a lot of time. They might do that when they're getting ready to retire, but they're not going to do that in their time off. You know, they're going to spend time with their kids. They already don't see them enough. Um, watch a game. I mean, like (laughs) they're people too. True. You know, there's a time and place for that. I think research can bridge that gap though, because we've helped doctors turn into IITs. Like there are some doctors that are like, Hey, I'm like super, super passionate about this. I really think this will work. Like you do trials. Like how do we put this together? And that's how some of our IITs came to be. Yeah. I'm curious. So, I mean, we, well, some of the practices we work with are interested in doing IITs. I mean, our business model, I don't think is too much different than yours, but it's, I mean, it's really based off of sponsor revenue and then splitting some of that revenue. So doing an investigator initiated trial is potentially not a great financial no, you're losing you know, money. Right, right. I mean, you guys just we don't eat pay that for or... it. Yeah. I tell them if you can get the funding for it, like you need a medical writer, you need an IRB, our favorite topic. You need an IRB. <laughs> right. This is how I got in 
I know their quotes, what they quote. It's ridiculous. You need an IRB. Um, you need, if you're going to actually have data, you need like a database of some sort. So EDC is not cheap. And you need like a biostats to put like the clinical study report together. And oh, by the way, you need a site to enroll patients. But I'll do that for free because you're my PI. Sure. But you got to pay for everything else. Usually that just stops most of them. Now, some of them have money. They have, so like they're willing to do that. And that's, those are the ones we've been able to do. Fair. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've always considered whether that, if there's a business model there, again, it's not really our, you know, it's not in our wheelhouse, but I feel like we've been approached about it, but it's always like, Hey, unless the sponsor is ponying up, you know, a decent chunk and you're, you're getting that sponsorship from, from the sponsor, then uh, probably not. <laughs> it's probably well, not going to work out. A lot of times you can get like some of the sponsors you work with, like, especially if they like the PI to maybe co like co-sponsor it. Um, I've gotten close once they turned me down. It was, I thought they would for sure do it, but they turned down my dad and a partner of his. I was like, Oh man, this is like a good, for whatever reason they turned it down, but it's possible. It's possible. I get it funded. Fair enough. All right, man, we're about wrapping up here. Uh, I mean, anything, uh, anything before we go, I think people probably know where to reach you by now, but, uh, feel free to, plug away and give us some some parting thoughts here man no just reach brad you know comment on his stuff it's awesome because i'll comment too because like when i see it sometimes i just feel compelled to comment like oh this is too good i gotta put something (laughs) so just follow brad comment on his stuff um and let us know like real things on your mind not like this industry noise buzzwords that's it right there yeah more more transparency and just almost brutal. I want brutal transparency out there. I mean, that's what, that's what we've lacked, you know? So um, I'm hoping that we continue to see more of that. And we need big, like we need AMCs. There's a place for them. Like I said, at my live stream, they're, they're KOLs and their, their, their PIs could bridge that gap between real world practice and research. There's a, there's a place for that. There's probably even a place for CVS and Walgreens to do it, but don't, don't ever think that small sites seeing patients in the community underserved communities especially um can can ever be replaced by these things because i just don't see that happening and i don't think patients will either it's perfect way to end we're not going anywhere no sorry all right thanks dan thank you brad later